AM 570 KLAC, 98.7 KYSR HD2. Los Angeles. Available anywhere using the iHeartRadio app. The proud home of your Los Angeles Dodgers. Welcome to off-season Dodger talk. My ball left field is on its way and a grand slam home run. Hosted by your favorite Dodger insider for this offseason, David Vassay. To be a part of the show, call 866-987-2570. You're a true professional, brother. And subscribe and podcast us wherever you listen to shows. Now, here's David Vassay. Welcome to Dodger Talk. David Vassay with you until 8 o'clock tonight here on AM570 LA Sports. It is day 96 of the lockout, but that won't hold us down. Our one and only Dodger Talk Show of the Week tonight. And I'll be back with another show. Filling in for Matt Money Smith on Thursday with Petros from 2 to 5.30 before UCLA's first game of the Pac-12 tournament. So we got that on the books this week. Last Friday, we ended big. A great show, great participation by you on the four Dodgers that you would like to have dinner with. And yes, Matt, a table of five. I'm glad you can do the math. They don't the math. They don't call you money for nothing. Uh, so yeah, that was a great way to end the week along with Max Muncy. I was happy to provide some baseball content for every outlet out there. So thank you to those that gave us credit and to the ones that didn't. We will ignore you. Anyway, we will hear from Max Muncy. I'll share what he had to say about Freddie Freeman. That seems to have made the biggest waves. And also, last week we had Ken Rosenthal on the show, so we'll share what he had to say and his information when it comes to Freddie Freeman. Also, at 7.40 tonight, we will be joined by another one of the Dodgers' top pitching prospects in Ryan Pepio. He is going to join the show from Arizona. He's making a start in a minor league game tomorrow at Camel back ranch so he's one of my favorite young dodgers and i look forward to connecting with him again and speaking of favorites everybody's favorite vic the brick jacobs is going to check in at 7 15 he wanted to get in on the uh the dinner party the dodger dinner party he heard the show on friday night and he said he wanted to get in and give his four dodger dinner guests at his dinner for five so uh, he will join us at 7.15. But it is lockout day 96 for Major League Baseball. And there has been some news in the last hour. Our guy, Evan Drellich of The Athletic, he's been all over this uh, since day one. And he said his sources are telling him that Major League Baseball is going to make an offer to the Players Association. And they have a deadline of tomorrow night to be able to save a 162-game season and for players to be able to get service time and pay for a full year. I guess if they don't come to an agreement by tomorrow night, whenever that time is, that Rob Manfred is going to start to take more games off the schedule. And honestly, for what their two sides are arguing over, they can split the difference by now. It's not like they're trying to overhaul the system. I could understand if the players wanted to try to rework the entire system, get a salary floor in there, have a higher luxury tax, and do a lot of other things. But honestly, this is coming down to basically 
the collective bargaining or the the competitive balance tax, the luxury tax threshold, and where that should be and how it should escalate. Of course, it shouldn't be 220 million. It should only it shouldn't just be 10 million more, and it shouldn't stay flat for the next three years. But it's negotiating, and the players and the owners have got to find a middle ground here. And for the first time publicly, we actually heard a team representative, a team president, speak out publicly, and that was the Yankees team president, Randy Levine. And he was on the Michael Kay show in New York, and Michael Kay asked him the question that I've been wanting to ask somebody with Major League Baseball. Everybody looks at this as owners against players. I look at it as owners against owners against players. You can't tell me that a higher uh, threshold is going to affect the Yankees, the Mets, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, or the Astros. You guys would probably sign off on it. But the way baseball is structured, these smaller market teams that don't have the same revenues, they're blocking any kind of deal you can make. How do you reconcile that? Well, Michael, I can tell you that's just not true. Uh, the owners are pretty, pretty united. Uh, they've managed to compromise things between themselves, so there is no there is no uh, uh, divide right now. There's disagreements, but everybody on our side understands that they have to compromise in order to get some and negotiate and negotiate. Nobody's ever said with the thresholds or with anything in here that that there's not going to be any movement. It depends on what the other person does. Randy Levine, a very level-headed team president, a man that obviously lives in the middle, and that's where both sides have to find some common ground. And he also added regarding the uh, competitive balance tax, where that is at and whether or not that is what this all centers around. This is nothing to shut down the season over on both sides. This is something that can be compromised as long as people are reasonable and understand what's doable on each side so that was randy levine yankees team president on the michael k show in new york great to hear from a team president because all we've heard from is rob manfred standing at a podium and honestly the players are the ones that are getting their side of it out and we really haven't heard from the owner's side so i appreciate hearing from a big market team president in Randy Levine of the New York Yankees to, you know, shed some light on what's going on from their side. And I thought the biggest piece of news from that interview was that Randy Levine revealed that the owners suggested a salary floor in the first negotiations uh, in Florida, and the players did not want to hear that. According to Randy Levine of the Yankees, he didn't the players did not want to discuss a salary floor. He admitted that it was a very low floor, but it was a starting point to open dialogue regarding that. And my understanding from the players' side is they don't want to get into a salary floor and a salary cap and revenue sharing starting at 50-50 because if you look at the NHL, they have had work stoppages regarding the players wanting to keep it at 50% while the owner is wanting a bigger piece of the revenue sharing. So you would have another uh, disagreement down the road in that situation. But honestly, I feel like whoever is in that room, they're the ones that have to make that deal. And that's something that Randy Levine of the Yankees uh, echoed. 
and reinforce that you can't have agents starting to get involved. It gets really messy when the players' union takes whatever offers are on the table and brings it back to agents or one agent. Or, you know, there there has been some talk, some talk behind the scenes that Scott Boris has a lot to say about what the players will agree to and what they won't agree to. He has five of the eight players on the uh, negotiating committee, starting with the two biggest ones and Max Scherzer and Andrew Miller, so no doubt. And the agents are part of the union. They are a layer to all that. So agents aren't stepping across the line when they get involved, but honestly, Agents have their own agenda, um, and I'm sure certain owners have their own agenda, but it's up to the people in the negotiating room, and that's part of the reason why I'm sure they negotiated for 13 hours straight last Monday. I'm sure the owner's side knew once they let the union contingency leave that room and take it back to whomever, it was going to be that much harder to get a deal done. But like I said... What are they really arguing over? The luxury tax threshold? I mean, it seems like an easy negotiation to be able to agree on that. And the biggest concern for me is what are the players fighting for? They're fighting for what? Young players? Guys that have been in the league for a year or two to get paid more? Haven't we all said that, (laughs) you know, you got to earn your worth? And just because you're a one-year or two-year player, and I know there's a lot of those guys, 69% of the league made the league minimum, but are you really going to fight for those guys and not for the established veterans, 30-year-old veterans, 31-year-old veterans? Because if money is going to those guys, there's not as much for those older veterans that mean a lot more to a team. I mean, we've seen that here in Los Angeles, so... I'm a little concerned the player's priority in this whole thing has been a little bit misdirected. It shouldn't be for one or two-year players. If you're good enough, you will get paid eventually. You will get paid. That's how the system is set up. So honestly, uh, take a step back, breathe, and I feel if these two sides got to the table and the players just found a middle ground a little bit, I understand what they're fighting for, and I think some of the things that they're asking for isn't really over the line, but I'm more about the middle class and the veterans than I am for two-year players. To me, the veterans have played longer if they've gotten to that point, and they're the ones that should get paid, and the younger guys eventually will get paid if they're good enough. 866-987-2570. Am I wrong? I feel like, you know, in every line of work, you have to earn your worth. Uh, All of a sudden, the union feels that you need to just hand over money to guys that are only going to be in the league for a couple of years. 866-987-2570. When we come back, we'll hear from Max Muncy. He joined us last Friday. His thoughts on Freddie Freeman and his left elbow. And Victor Brick wants to get in. You guys made a big wave with the four Dodger dinner guests dead or alive, who you would want to have dinner with, and VTB wants to give his as well. 866-987-2570. Ryan Pepio joining us at 740. So a big show leading you up to 8 o'clock right here on AM570 LA Sports. This 
is off-season Dodger talk. Call 866-987-2578. And now your host for off-season Dodger talk, David Bassett. We are with you until 8 o'clock tonight here on AM570 LA Sports. Our only Dodger talk show of the week. In case you missed Max Muncy, Bobby Miller, and Ken Rosenthal last week, you can find it on the iHeartRadio app. Subscribe to Dodger Talk and you'll never miss an episode because our days during this lockout is a little inconsistent. So that's the best way not to miss a show. And you can also follow me on social media at the at officially vasse on instagram and at the real underscore dv on twitter you can also follow our man victor brick jacobs on twitter he tweets in all caps vic the brick find him on twitter and he joins us right now first time in a long time our man vtb vic are you there vv <laughs> Feeling you. I'm feeling you and give it up for the Azul. I love it. And you could follow Vic on Twitter at Vic Feeling You. Vic, number one, the echo is a real thing, and I love it. I love that about you, the echo. Uh, I, I know you're in this lockout abyss. How are you handling the lockout, Vic? I'm as exasperated and as frustrated as every baseball fan is knowing that we could have accelerated the negotiations months ago, but the, the owners and their mouthpiece, uh, Manfred, <laughs> decided to just take a two-month vacation and saw the negotiations and really put everything into a, a quagmire and, you know, eroding confidence you know, of the fans in the process, eroding confidence of the fans in the game. And it, it's hurtful. And again, it's a very simple format. We have seen this time and time again. And it's always the same process. It's a multi-billion dollar pie. It's a $10 billion pie that they're slicing up. And the fans don't care how it's sliced up. They just want a piece of that national pastime. We love the game. We love our Dodgers. We love Dodger Stadium. We love what it brings to us. If, you know, like we're all little kids again. We love that feeling that it gives us. You know, it's not like football. It's not like basketball. This is a generational sport. The generational sport that goes over 100 years. It's, this, is, this is not, you know, a, a sport that, you know, has sprung into the American psyche the last 50 years. This is over 100 years old. Dodger Stadium is like our second home. And the Dodgers are the pulse of our ciudad. And for them to rob us, you know, of, of the simple pleasure of baseball, uh, look at me. I'm a wreck. All right, Vic, you heard the show Friday night, and that was beautiful, by the way. I feel, I feel the pain. The fans feel your pain. But let's talk about some baseball. Let's go into the light. Because like you said, there's a lot of history in this game and a lot of history with the Dodgers. And the fans came in and stepped up to the plate last Friday night with their four Dodgers that they would want to have dinner with if given the opportunity, dead or alive, past or present, 
And I know you heard the show, and everybody wants to know, if you had a table for five and you can invite four Dodgers, who would they be? Number one, that's a sensational question. And, of course, you know, I was born in Brooklyn, and my brother Bob will be 92 tomorrow. Used to work as a, a, a ticket taker at Ebbets Field. So our blood runs deep with Dodger Blue and the Dodger organization. I was lucky enough to have to have broken some Italian bread and pasta with Tommy Lasorda, so I'm going to take Tom <laughs> off, off the top of the list already. Had some great meals with Tommy in Philadelphia, uh, which was really one of his go-to spots for Italian food, which was anywhere on the, on the planet he would eat Italian food. But, of course, Philadelphia, well, he had, I think he had a warm spot in his heart for Philadelphia Italian. But uh, I was lucky enough to uh, have, have some Italian with Tommy. So I'm going to take Tommy off the top of the list and the, the four Dodgers and there's so many you would you know everyone would love to have dinner with so many Dodgers I would Jackie right off the spot off the top Jackie Robinson the great Jack love it I would go with Fernando Val, Fernando Valenzuela the times the early 80s those magical times when Fernando Mania was you know I want to know what was going through Fernando's head through the you know Fernando Mania and bringing the entire you know city together Love to talk to Don Drysdale. The Big, Big D. D. Yeah, Love he was on my list. To, was he out of Van Nuys, of course, one of the greatest uh, pitchers of all time. I'd love to talk to the Big D. And finally, I, I talked to, to this, this gentleman on numerous occasions, but not over dinner, where I, I would love to share his tales of the Brooklyn Dodgers and the Dodgers and, and all of the insanity surrounding, you know, the racism when he was playing Don Newcomb, the great Nuke. That's a good table, Vic. And talked about his love of fur coats. You know, he had a gigantic black fox fur coat that he used to rock. Now, Vic, are there, I, those are legends of the game and legends of Dodger history, but many fans are wondering, no seat at the table for Manny Ramirez or Yasiel Puig? Oh, Listen, no doubt. El Maniaco. Absolutely. 99. The Foundation no Casey Blake. My Foundation Casey Blake. And of course, you know, that would be another table. I mean, it's, it's a numerous. Uh, you know, I'm going Well, deeper. you can only have four, Vic. That's, that's what makes it somewhat of a challenge here. But I guess Manny and Puig did not find a place in your heart enough to get a seat at your table. We would have to uh, have a, a separate meal. No, no, there, some, there's only one. This is the last supper. No, there's no there's no cocktail hour with Manny Ramirez <laughs> and Yasiel Puig. Can we share like a, a plate Who, of plantains? Of, do, with, is uh, there anybody? I'll give you a chance. Do you, is there anybody that you would boot for Manny Ramirez or Yasiel Puig from your table? No. All right. No, it's a, it's a tight table. It's a tie table. I didn't say tie table. It's a tie table. <laughs> <laughs> a, but, you know, I, I love those guys. I think that's the biggest upset of the night. And no Puig and no Manny at your table. Well, I went deep. I had to go deep into the Azul. I went deep, I went deep into, the, into the archives. I love it. I love it, Vic. I'll let you off the hook here. Always great to hear your voice. Can't wait to hear it tomorrow. And uh, you ride that wave, my brother. DV, thank you for providing so much clarity through this chaos of the negotiations. And you, you are indeed giving us so much transparency 
and we love that about you because all baseball fans, you know, it's very nebulous times. Who do you believe? What is the truth? And we know when we hear off-season Dodger talk at 7 o'clock right here on AM570 LA Sports, home of your Dodgers, we know, DV, you're going to give us total clarity. Thank you so much. And feeling you. Feeling you, Vic. There he goes, our man, the legend, L.A. legend, Vic the Brick Jacobs. Thank you, my brother. Yeah. There he goes, Vic. Yeah, baby. There we go. That's what you get when there's a lockout in Major League Baseball. You get Vic the Brick on Dodger Talk. Can't beat that. How about that? No Puig and no Manny at his table. Shocking. 866-987-2570 is the phone number. Let's go out to our, I guess, uh, one of the biggest Vic the Brick fans on the streets of L.A., our guy Manny in Gardena. You're on Dodger Talk. Manny, were you as surprised as we all were that the Yasiel Puig and Manny Ramirez were not at Vic's table? I am, but at least he gave him an El Maniaco. It makes my heart happy whenever I hear BTB, BTB feeling you. Hey, can I answer my table? Is yeah, let's hear it. Where are you? Are you at a jazz club? Where are you? <laughs> Nah, man, I'm at a CVS, but they're grooving like they're a jazz Jeez. I know. Yeah. Hey, man, um, so the ones that I got, I got a uh, top four. Tommy, of course. Tommy Lasorda. Uncle Tommy has to be there. Oral Hirschheiser, my favorite Dodger ever. Fernando Valenzuela. And I would be remiss if I didn't invite Joe Kelly, who invited me to dinner. Right? So there's my story right there. I love it. I love that you don't have a short memory, Manny. Thanks for the phone call, and I hope you find everything you need at CVS. Yes, sir. Hey, you're the man, D.D. All right, Manny. Thanks for the phone call. Yeah, Joe Kelly, a couple of weeks ago, right here on Dodger Talk, took your phone calls as he was going through the drive-thru at In-N-Out after picking up his son, Knox, or after he and his son, Knox, uh, finished Little League practice. So uh, you could find that on the iHeartRadio app as well. Speaking of pitchers, did you hear about Bobby Miller, who was on the show last week? Bobby Miller was throwing 100 miles an hour at Camelback Ranch last week. Now, I know we all love the radar gun, and the nerds love the radar gun. Analytics loves the radar gun, loves spin rate. But I don't believe I would want one of my top pitching prospects throwing 100 miles an hour the first week of March. Isn't that a gradual buildup? I mean, last spring, we saw Dustin May hit triple digits the last week of February. And then he had Tommy John surgery in April. I'm not sure I want my top pitching prospect, or any pitcher for that matter, throwing 100 miles an hour. It's not something that I would celebrate the first week of March. So throttle back a little bit, Bobby Miller, and save the 100 for June or July whenever you need it. I'm not sure. I I feel like you have to protect some of these pitchers from themselves, and throwing 100 the first week of March um, is never a good idea in the experiences that I have seen with pitchers. 866-987-2570. All right, I mentioned Max Muncy and what he had to say about Freddie Freeman. We will do that on the other side, and we will hear from another one of the big three pitching prospects. Ryan Pepio will join us at 740. More Dodger talk coming up next right here on AM570 LA Sports. 
be damned. This is off-season Dodger talk. Here's David Vasse. Thanks to our guy, Victor Brick Jacobs, for chiming in. Still the biggest shock of the night. Not that Major League Baseball and the union may find an agreement tomorrow before another deadline, but that Victor Brick's Dodger dinner would not include Manny Ramirez or Yasiel Puig. Who knew? Yeah, you're telling me. That's the reports coming out of John Heyman's Twitter that MLB and the Players Union will get together again tomorrow, and there is another deadline to try to uh, get the players paid for 162 games to even play 162 games. But Rob Manfred said the schedule just wouldn't line up for 162 when he canceled the first two series of the season. So, wow, that's uh, there's a big contradiction right there if that's accurate from John Heyman because the commissioner said the because of the interleague schedule, they had to cancel the first two series of the season. So now you're telling us there is room in the schedule to play 162? So I uh, don't know what to believe these days on Twitter, especially from certain Twitter people out there. But uh, John Heyman is reporting that Major League Baseball is going to offer a $228 million luxury tax threshold for 2022, which is more than what they have stayed on for the better part of these negotiations. Last year's luxury tax threshold was at $210 million. So we'll see what happens. And if it is true that this luxury tax threshold number is the biggest culprit for why these two sides cannot agree then they I mean it seems very simple just find a middle ground and work from there and escalate it with what it should be it shouldn't stay flat it should go up every year no doubt about it 866-987-2570 is the phone number Uh, let's talk a little baseball before we hear from Ryan Pepio one of the Dodgers top pitching prospects Last week, Ken Rosenthal joined us to talk about the lockout and also gave his thoughts on the possibility of Freddie Freeman not only leaving Atlanta, but also signing with the Dodgers. The chances of him leaving are greater than they've ever been, and it's real. He, I believe, will leave for the right offer. This has gone on with the Braves going back to spring training. They, I don't believe, made him an offer then, or if they did, it wasn't sufficient, quite obviously. They made him an offer, I believe, in August. That was insufficient as well. And in the exclusive period after the World Series ended, there was nothing. Through November, there was nothing. So he understands now that he may have to look elsewhere. And because he's Freddie Freeman, one of the great players in the game, he has options. L.A., from a personal standpoint, would be very appealing. He's from Orange County, of course. The Blue Jays were also interested. His parents were both born in Canada, the Yankees. They always have appeal to players. But I would think that if the Dodgers want Freddie Freeman, they've got a real shot at him. And I do believe he will leave for the right offer. And, David, you know this better than I. For the Dodgers, he's a really good fit. The lost Seegers, left-handed bat, Freddie Freeman gives you that. Now, I know he's an older guy, 
in baseball terms, 31-32. And the Dodgers, like all teams, oh, my gosh, we can't find somebody <laughs> that age. But sometimes you do that. They did it with Justin Turner. And Freddie Freeman still looks like a pretty darn good player, and he's still, I think he still will be for the next few years. All right, so that was Ken Rosenthal from The Athletic and Fox Sports. We all know he is the number one information man in all of Major League Baseball, and he gave validity to the rumors out there that Freddie Freeman more than likely is leaving Atlanta. And honestly, Ken is doubling down on what Chipper Jones had to say a couple of weeks ago on Atlanta Sports Talk Radio, where he basically said that the Braves missed their chance to extend Freddie, and if he wants to stay in Atlanta, he will, but he is being courted by some of the, in Chipper's words, some of the prettiest girls on the block, and that is the Dodgers. They are the prettiest out there of all 30 major league teams. Max Muncy was on our show Friday, and I have seen all weekend long regarding uh, what he had to say on the show. And the biggest thing was when I asked him about the rumors of Freddie Freeman signing with the Dodgers and how he would react to all that. I think it's awesome. Imagine how dangerous we'd be if we get him in that lineup. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it makes me really excited. Uh, uh, yeah, maybe it's not as much first base, but that's okay because, you know, I, I think I've told you several times I enjoy playing second base more. And, um, you know, if we get the DH, obviously that's going to be a rotating position. We're not going to have one set DH because, we, you know, that that's a way we can utilize it to get people off their feet and get them rest days without getting them out of the lineup. So, you know, I don't think we have a set DH. So that just means we'll be rotating all around the field, and that's that to me is when it's really fun. So, you know, I'm excited about it. That was Max Muncy last Friday night on this show on Dodger Talk talking about the possibilities of Freddie Freeman signing with the Dodgers. And Max also let us know about his left elbow. He said he just started to swing, and uh, the left elbow is his top hand, and he is hoping that it goes well and he'll be ready for opening day. And when he said opening day, I think in his mind, he's thinking opening day sometime in April, maybe the first week of May, because, you know, look, this cannot go on past March it just can't this lockout has got to be resolved by the end of March or both sides are going to do serious harm to this game out of sight out of mind especially in 2022 that's just the way it is and there's a lot of other sports that not only grab people's attention during their season but also during the off season and we're getting into March Madness we're getting closer to the NBA playoffs I know here in Los Angeles, uh, it's a, a 50-50 proposition if either one of our teams, the Lakers or Clippers, are going to be in there. But as soon as the Lakers season is over, all people in this town are going to start talking about what changes are they going to make. And if there is no Dodger baseball, that is going to be the entire focus. And so, you know. The Dodgers are a victim of circumstance in this lockout. We all know the passion in this city for the team. We all know the passion of this ownership to try to win another championship is for this team and for this city. So uh, hopefully they resolve this by the end of March, and we'll see what comes out of it uh, by the end of tomorrow. 
All right, joining us right now is one of my favorite Dodger prospects. He is a proud Butler Bulldog, and he is at Camelback Ranch in Glendale, Arizona, getting set for his minor league season, and who knows where it may lead by the end of this year, and that is the one and only Ryan Pepio. Thanks for coming on, Pepio. No, David, thanks for having me on. So, uh, you know, when we spoke in the middle of last year, it was uh, getting used to playing games and getting back to some sort of normal for you. Uh, how big of a year was it for you as far as growth last season coming out of COVID and just that summer camp out there at USC? It was uh, it was definitely a big year being able to get back to playing against uh, opposing competition in filled-up stadiums. Um, it was a lot of fun. I had a lot of learning lessons and uh, a lot of success and a lot of things that I was able to learn from um, going from AA into AAA. You had a lot of success to start the year at Tulsa, Ryan. When you're having that much success, uh, how do you handle that as far as a minor league player? I know you want to show what you can do, and success is always great, but I know uh, pitching in the minor leagues is about learning and uh, having some adversity. So how was all of that? Because I know you had some adversity later in the year. Yeah, the success was great. It was definitely a confidence booster um, and allowed me to go out there and just have fun and compete. Um, but like you said, adversity is definitely something I need to have to be able to handle and to understand what I need to do to move forward and what I can understand works for me and what doesn't necessarily work for me. Ryan Pepio is our guest. He's out of Butler, and I'm sure are the are the Bulldogs dancing this year, Pepio? I haven't been keeping up with the, the Butler Bulldogs. Uh, I don't know. It's going to take a miracle to win the Big <laughs> East tournament to, to get the Bulldogs in the tournament this year. Wow, a very rare uh, no-show from the Butler Bulldogs this year in college basketball. I know. It's been a couple years, I think. When I was there, we went, <laughs> I think, every year. So I know. It's been a bit down a couple years. But, hey, you know, down a couple years, maybe we'll turn it around next year. You know, I'm just obsessed with UCLA over here in Southern California because they came so close to winning it last year. And uh, there, I, I feel like uh, it's uh, UCLA talk all all twenty four seven on the West Coast. How much uh, do you keep tabs on other college basketball programs? I like to watch college basketball. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, definitely was able to go to plenty of games growing up and try to just go visit a bunch of different Midwest colleges to go watch and experience some of the different arenas. But now being over more on the West Coast, trying to go watch ASU play or go. Uh, to L.A. and watch a game out there at some point. Uh, what was it like going to Butler games at the height of the program? Uh, was it as special as what you saw at Cameron Indoor or the Dean Dome or even Poly Pavilion? Um, what's it like? What's the atmosphere of being a student athlete going to watch, uh, you know, that what what they had going on there? We don't really have a big football team, so, like, the big sporting event for, for Butler is basketball games. So it was a lot of fun. It's a historic arena, all brick outside building. Um, the place is electric. Like when somebody hits a three, the place is nuts and like feels like you're going to blow the roof off the place. Um, I got to experience a couple of really fun ones where we stormed the court when number one Villanova came into town yeah. um, and we, we beat them. So there was, I had a lot of fun memories going to those games. Did you storm the court? The court? Were you one of those guys? Oh, absolutely! I was, out there. I was already down. The, I was already down the steps before the game even ended. I was ready. 
Yeah, and Brad Stevens, obviously an Indiana icon. Did you ever have a chance to meet him before he left for Boston? He came back when he was coaching for Boston. Uh, to, when he played the Pacers, came back to campus. So I saw him around Hinkle Fieldhouse where we had our gym and training facility. So I got to see him there, but I never got to see him coaching when I was in school. I saw him growing up um, just because I grew up 30 minutes from Butler. And, and how did you find your way to baseball since Indiana is such a basketball hotbed? Yeah, I wasn't, you know, I, w- I could shoot the ball when I played basketball, <laughs> but other than that, I didn't have a whole lot else going for me. Um, but I, baseball was, my dad had me playing baseball, basketball, and football all growing up, and baseball baseball was the one that, that caught my eye, and I really enjoyed it, and that was the one I thought um, I could play the longest um, professionally. So you say you didn't have much range when you were playing basketball? No, the range is what I had. I could shoot, but <laughs> other than that, any other basketball skills, there was just there was not a whole lot for me. And what was it a challenge trying to pitch and learn baseball in Indiana? I mean, at this time of the year, it's kind of tough to find, uh, you know, the snow not being on the ground. Yeah, it was. You you made do with what you had. We have a ton of great indoor facilities around my area um i have one that was five minutes from my house that i would just go in and i whenever i'm back home i still go to um it's called round tripper and i go there um whenever i'm home in indiana to work out see all my old coaches see all the old trainers that i worked out with um so you find you make do with what you have we don't have sunny and 75 every day like southern california but (laughs) it's always it's always lights on and 70 degrees inside yeah, that that's what's going on with a lot of guys, including Rich Hill out there in Boston. He's finding some indoor areas out there. Ryan Pepio is our guest. He is in Camelback Ranch in Glendale, Arizona, as he and the rest of the Dodger minor leaguers get ready for the season. Now, we had Bobby Miller on the show last week, Ryan, and I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. You, you know you, you hear things. Uh, you hear people rank the Dodger prospects. And your name, Miller's name, and Landon Knack's name always seem to come up. Uh, can you explain to us the dynamic of your relationship as prospects but also competitors? I think less more on the competitor side. Like, we're all friends. All three of our lockers are right next to each other in the locker room. So we have plenty of FaceTime with each other every day. Um, and I think rather than the competitive aspect, it's more of a friend aspect where you're just pushing the other person to get better and you want the best success for each of those guys. I mean, you watch out there and watch Bobby throw a hundred miles an hour, every pitch. Um, and then you go watch Landon just dice people up with his four or five pitch mix. Um, it's, it's fun to watch and it's fun to be a part and be with those guys every day. And they make me get better as well. How much do you guys take from each other? I know Bobby is uh, very much into the analytics and diagnosing things uh, analytically. Are you the same way or are you more of a feel guy? I would say more on the feel side. I like to look at the numbers and analytics a little bit, but I'm not one that's hard-nosed, only look at the numbers. For me, it's just using it as a little bit of a tool to help me if something doesn't feel 100% correct. I'm out there, all right, this felt good coming out of my hand. It looks good. How does the hitter see it? Uh, I'm definitely more on the feel side. I know, I I mean, your changeup seems to be just as uh... – as uh, popular as you are. I feel like a lot of times your middle name is Changeup. Nobody says Ryan Pepio without mentioning the word Changeup. Uh, what's that pitch 
been for you when you first started? And how do you improve upon such a, a popular pitch that everybody talks about? Has your pitch mix grown or that's your money pitch? You're going with that and your fastball. It's definitely bread and butter with the fastball. So I can, it's something that I feel comfortable throwing any time of the day, any count to any hitter, righty or lefty, doesn't matter to me. Um, I think the biggest thing I've been working on improving it wise is just being able to land it for a strike early and then use it as a put-away pitch later on rather than just trying to get swing and misses all the time with it. If I do that, then hitters might be able to just eliminate the pitch. But on the aspect of adding pitches, I've I've gone to a five-pitch mix. Uh, so I have my fastball changeup, and then I have a hard slider cutter that I was throwing last year. And then I brought in a new grip on my curveball that I'm having a lot more success and control with. And then big one that we've added this year um, is a sweeping slider. When you have that many pitches that you're bringing into the mix, uh, are you? is this kind of the time to feel out which three or four you really feel comfortable throwing, or are you comfortable with all five if you were to make a start tomorrow? If I'm, I'll actually am pitching tomorrow. Oh, um, hey, so all right. I'm, I'm gonna be, I'll be comfortable throwing all five of them tomorrow. I, I've been working a lot um, since I've been in Arizona pretty much the whole offseason with the staff that lives here. Um, being able to be with them every day, being able to help work on that mix and be comfortable where I am right now with it. Definitely now in the spring training games or camp games, whatever we have going on, able to try different things that I maybe not try in the actual game and just see what works and what I don't like and see what what I can use later on. Who's been your catcher, uh, Ryan? I know last year you may have had a couple of different ones, but who was your catcher last year in Tulsa? How important is the pitcher-catcher relationship to you? Very important. Um, last year I had Hunter Fiducia and Stevie Berman um, before Stevie got traded to the Twins and then in AA. I had a great relationship with both of those guys. And then in AAA we had Tony Walters, Hamlet Marte, and Anthony Benboom, and Tony's back with us this year, so I've been able to work with him. And I'm actually really good friends with all of our catchers just because the pitcher-catcher relationship is so important so that they know exactly what I'm trying to do on each day. Each time I go out there, they know the plan I have set, and we're all on the same page. Speaking of catchers, uh, I've been seeing some long balls hit by Diego Cartaya. Have you had a chance to, to see what he can do? Because I've heard that he's a monster up there. Yes. I've watched firsthand. I made sure I did not park my car in the parking lot that day. Hit, the, <laughs> hit that home run into the parking lot. So my windshield stayed safe that day. Um, he's caught some of my, actually my last like three bullpens. Uh, just hasn't been able to, I haven't had him in one of my games yet. But he's definitely very, very good behind the plate, very smart for a 20-year-old, and he can definitely swing, swing the bat a little bit. What, what's it like? Because, you know, I, with the Dodgers, they have such a long tradition of catchers, and not just with the bat, but more importantly, uh, the way that they receive and also that pitcher-catcher relationship and just being the, the quarterback behind the plate there. Do you feel like he has uh, that it factor when it comes to being a catcher to control the game? Definitely. He definitely slows slows you down. And I think for anyone who wasn't with us or didn't know him, you wouldn't know or be able to guess that he's only 20 years old. I mean, he's definitely a lot smarter and uh, more mature than you, uh, what 20-year-old you would think. Um, and then he knows how to call a game. For me, he knows how to where I want every pitch to be set up and how I want the shape to look. And then if something's not going right, he knows how to come down and call me down 
or slow me down or get my cues back to where I need to be. Ryan Pepio is our guest. Before I let you go, Ryan, does this camp feel a little different than a year ago, not just for the obvious reasons of getting back to some sort of normalcy and having a year under your belt with that, but the Dodger rotation is a little thin, and you have taken some big strides. Does it feel like this camp has more of a purpose as far as the major leagues are concerned to you, or can you not even acknowledge that? Um, I'm just out there doing my business every day, getting ready for um, when minor league season starts in the beginning of April. But it it's kind of hard to say like how this camp is different than others because I really haven't had many experiences before because my first spring training got canceled. Then I had a summer <laughs> summer camp. And then last year's spring training, there was nobody allowed to be around. It was all the COVID protocols. So this year is the closest thing to normalcy that I've had since uh, the two, three weeks I had in 2020. Um, but I'm out there just every day um, with all the guys just working on, working on my craft, getting ready for the season, whatever that, whatever that brings. Hey, when you get to Dodger Stadium, I'm confident that you will, by the way, this year at some point. Don't forget the little people, okay, Pepio? Don't blow me off hey, like the other the, guys do. I'm a little town guy. I know. <laughs> all right. I'm an Indiana guy. I know where I come from. I know, I know, my, I know my circle. I know my people. Uh, All right. You, know. you will you will get influenced, though, once you get to the big leagues. Uh, the veterans will tell you to, to, you know, they'll just treat me really poorly in, in a good way. So don't get influenced that way. Okay. I can do that. <laughs> oh, man. I can't wait to see you out there in Arizona. Hopefully you're still there when this thing gets resolved and uh, we got everybody in camp together for whatever amount of time allows it to be and uh i can't wait to see you at dodger stadium ryan uh you're easy guy to root for and i'm happy to share you again with the dodger fans no thank you so much for having me i really enjoyed it and thank you for the support i'm looking forward to when the day comes that i get to step foot on dodger stadium it'll be a very yeah, exciting that, day that would be great i'll be there for that ryan thanks a lot no thank you Ryan Pepio, appreciate him calling in and right up against it tonight for Dodger Talk, but he is so good at expressing himself and giving some really well thought out answers. And like I said to him, and I'll say to you again, he's a really easy guy to root for, and the sky's the limit for him. He's got a great head on his shoulder, understands the game, understands how to pitch. And no doubt, will he be at Dodger Stadium? And who knows, might be this season, considering where the Dodger rotation is at as far as depth goes to start the year. We'll see where it, where it goes after the lockout. In case you missed any of the show, or if you want to listen to Ryan Pepio again down the line, the iHeartRadio app is where you can find it. Thanks to Ronnie Fascio for all his help, and thanks to you for listening. And, of course, thanks to the great Vic the Brick for checking in tonight. Have a great night. We'll talk to you on Thursday with Petros at 2 o'clock.